Welcome back to another episode of the Grace Church Members Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Rivers. And in this episode, Scott Mazingo and I have a conversation with Jennifer Dill, who serves as Grace Church's Care and Recovery Director. She shares with us her personal experience in the area of suffering well with others, and then gives us some tips on how to prioritize our energy as a church to move from being reactive to proactive in this area. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation. Hey, Chris. Good to be here. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jennifer. Tell us how you started working here at Grace, your story. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, thanks. Um, so it's a little bit of um, personal story, professional story. Uh, so it's just amazing to see how God kind of brings all that together. Um, you know, when you're thinking about your life and how you can serve him. But um Back in 2006, uh, I went to the lake one day with um, a really good friend of mine. She had been friends with me since middle school. Um, We grew up together and um, roomed together in college. And, you know, this wasn't just like a a best friend. I mean, she was like a sister, family member type friend. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we went to the lake one day. I really didn't want to go it was the part um beginning of senior year and um I was just trying to get our apartment ready and she wanted to go and um just kept begging me begging me to go so finally I went and we get there and um you know those big double tubes where you're like Mm -hmm. two people can be on them um so we hopped on the boat got on the tube um you know having a good time and then so I leaned the the tube into the the wake you know so we could kind of jump it mm-hmm. as you do yeah um on a lake um we came back around to the other side hit another wake she flew off and um died in the in a boating accident so mm. it was a really tragic boating accident so from there you know my my worldview completely changed. I was mm. Christian. Um, and, but I, I just remember thinking like, this doesn't happen. Mm. Like this isn't supposed to happen. What just happened? You know, our whole lives we, we had planned and made all these, you know, things that we were going to do together. Um, and then that was just gone in an instant. And I remember thinking it's not supposed to be this way. Mm. Or what am I supposed to do? Um, and what were you thinking as far as a career path at that time? Um, well, you know, funny enough at that time I was thinking something in ministry, Okay. but I had I had no clue what, mm. um, I actually started college as an elementary education major, Okay. which, um, just found out real quick. That wasn't for me. The Lord said, no, you're, you're good. We'll do something yeah, else. Yeah. Um, and then I just through his prompting, I, um, knew I wanted to do something in ministry, but didn't know what. Mm-hmm. And so then, um, that the accident happened and, you know, I'm left senior year was still to, to finish senior year and then also figure out what are those next steps. Mm-hmm. And so what was your friend's name? Uh, Mallory. Mallory. Mm-hmm. So as you're processing the death of this best friend, family member, Mm -hmm. um, where, 
mean, how does that shape a 20, 21 year old? And where do you, where do you take those thoughts and emotions? How do you, how, how do you allow God to channel all that in, at that time? Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest at the time, I, I really don't know. I know that's not a good answer to your question, but it was so, um, I feel like people were carrying me through with their faith and their prayers mm-hmm. and their um, strength in the Lord. Mm-hmm. I, though my nature, my personal nature was to hunker down and take care of everybody else. So I would say I kind of put my grief and mourning on hold for a couple of years. I mean, I was still devastated, mm. cry myself to sleep, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the time, but I wanted to be there for everybody else. I felt like, um, I've got to be strong for them. I've got to be there for them. Um, and I do think God used that, but he was trying to, you know, tell me like, Hey, you need to just surrender to me. But I didn't really know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to say that before the accident, God was just, just, he was in my life, but he was kind of more of a lofty figure. Mm-hmm. Whereas afterwards he became right beside me. Um, he was there, he was, um, alive and just right there beside me. And so I really don't know how I made it through those days as a 21 year old. I just knew that after that day, my whole life was different. Mm. Um, you know, personally I became a lot more, um, scared, nervous, anxious. Mm. Um, before I would just go do whatever, um, I can still be fairly happy-go-lucky, but now it's like guarded because I've had something happen in my life that it just, all that was gone. Yeah. And we wanted to take some time just for you to share that, not just to get to know you better, but there's everyone listening can resonate with different parts of that story. Yeah. And then the, the idea of how do we, do we help others in times of suffering? Mm-hmm. How do we suffer well with others is really what we're titling um, this episode. And we thought that having your personal experience, and then we'll talk about your professional experience in a minute, that has really given you some insight into how you are giving the, the best part of your career right now to help our church do this, do this well. Yeah. And so um, tell us just back up for just a second, or fast forward, whichever way you want to look at it. Tell us about all the different ministries that you kind of direct, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll go back and pick up a little bit on the professional side of your your training and your career experience. Sure. Um, so care and recovery um, is related to grief support, divorce support, mental health, uh, recovery, um, and then our legacy ministry, and all of that is for. Um, probably about ages five and up. Mm. So um, anything that falls under those buckets is uh, what our team um, helps resource uh, the church as a whole. And then also another part of my job is the funerals, natural burial, bereavement ministry. Okay. So so care is really, our, the entirety of our church is mm-hmm. under care ministry. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, that's great. That's great. And so then to take some of the personal steps to get to a place professionally, 
where you really gave your life and your career to, to helping people as they, they struggle well through grief, through suffering, as they care for others well. Walk us through some of the, some of the steps that you took to, to get here professionally. Yep, sure. So, um, you know, in college, I wasn't really sure the exact direction, but it was interesting. Um, you know how you need, uh, like, internships kind of your senior year. So even in the midst of all the things that had happened with the accident, my major was psychology with, I think, maybe it was a minor in some sort of religious studies I don't, I'm not really even sure, but I know I needed um, essentially two internships to finish out the year. And so I was approached by uh, one of my professors who just said, hey, there's this thing at the local hospital. Do you want to try it? And the school only required eight hours of internship, but this was 120 hours. Mm. And so when I interviewed for it. um, That's more. Than That's what you needed. A lot more. <laughs> like a lot more. So and they had never partnered with college students to okay. do the internship. They only partnered with um those who had been through grad school and had graduated, something like seminary. So I was a little bit of a guinea pig. So I knew at the time the Lord wanted me to be with people and he wanted to um I did feel like in some way use my story of the accident, even though it was very, very fresh in that moment. Another part of, of me is that I have, and I only say this because it, it resonates is, um, you know, I do have and have had some health issues all my life. And so those three things I wanted, um, huge motivators. yes, huge motivators. Absolutely. Um, so and, the and inter- so the internship that you went forward on, that was kind of some of that. Yes, yes. So what I found it out to be was a internship at the hospital to be a chaplain. So I remember one of my first visits was, you know, with a family. He had just had surgery, and um, they were, you know, a little upset about the surgery. And I'll be honest, I had no clue what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I was just told, here's the pager, go be with people. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And, but there was something about that family and that visit um, that the Lord was in that room. And mm. I remember coming out of that room and saying, this is, this is it. Wow. This is what the Lord what has do. me doing for the moment. Um, and so from there, I find out, oh, you can do this as a job. You can be a, a chaplain as a job. And so I did some more research and I knew my next step then was to go to seminary. So I finished the the internship and I thought, well, if I want to pursue this professionally, these are the steps I've got to take. So Mm -hmm. I went to, um, seminary and, um, specialized in pastoral care and counseling. And so, um, took a lot of classes on grief and how to be in those suffering moments with folks And then from there, graduated. And so in chaplaincy, you have these certifications. Um, So I'd already done the internship one, went to seminary. So the second one was that you had to apply for a thing called residency. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for that, it's a year-long program. And I moved to Charlotte to complete that program. Okay. Um, Then 
from there, the Lord allowed me to complete a second year so that I, so that I could actually focus on end of life care with people. And this is all in the hospital setting. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I spent two years in Charlotte doing um, primarily end of life care and work, getting those certifications. After that, again to do, to be a professional chaplain, um, you've got to be board certified. So I, I pursued board certification, which is writing papers, which is meeting before a committee. So I was able to get board certified. And then um, the Lord was putting on our hearts, so my husband and I, that Charlotte was not our only move. Mm-hmm. Um, then he took us to Pittsburgh, where mm-hmm. I learned the sun is not there <laughs> and it does not shine. Uh, but... Um, so he took us to Pittsburgh and in Pittsburgh, I worked in hospice. Okay. So I was in hospice care for two years up there. And then thankfully the Lord brought us back to Greenville where the sun lives sun does again. Shine. Yes. yes, it is here. And, um, I worked at the hospital here in Greenville as a palliative care chaplain for three and a half years. Okay. And explain palliative care yes. for those that may not be familiar. Yes. So palliative care. So, um, pal- palliative to palliate means to cloak, to come around. So a lot of folks, when they hear pal- palliative care, they immediately think end of life. Yes. That is a lot of situations, but it's not always mm. ideally it's a team of people who come around, um, you and your family, if you were to get a uh, major diagnosis mm. or eventually terminal diagnosis to help you walk through um, those stages of that diagnosis. So that entails a doctor, a nurse, uh, social worker, chaplain, nurse practitioner uh, to come around that family and that patient to help them with what they need. Yeah, it's a care team. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes, yeah. it's a care team. It's a care team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things, so if I'm doing the math right, that's seven and a half years in hospital slash uh, palliative care hospice work. Um, so that's a, that's a good little career career there. And then you have an opportunity to come and basically do some of the same things here at Grace Church. Is that right? Yes. And so, you know, I think about our church. I think about, when, what year was that when you came back on staff? You came on staff. It was 2018. Okay, so five years ago, mm-hmm. and um, so you're coming into a, a, a large and growing church that's also an aging church, yes. And and having more situations, more um, families, more groups dealing with suffering, grief, care, death than really ever before. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that accurate? Absolutely. So yeah. then what, what would you say? Um, so you seems like you're a good fit for that, for that role. And from what I know, I've gotten to work alongside you for the last five years and known you a lot longer. Uh, it's just, it has been nice to see how God used experience, professional career, and then brought you into this environment where we, we have some care structures already set up in right. terms of, um, care, you know, care groups, community groups, just, you know, familial type relationships within the church, but yet we don't always know what to do. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of energy, but we don't have a lot of knowledge. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, is that fair to say? Yes. A lot of energy, not a lot of knowledge. 
So you've come in as a, as a subject matter expert to then just kind of work and mold this, this clay that we have here in the local church. What, what have you seen mm-hmm. um, over the last five years? You know, what are some areas w- that we're doing well? And where, um, where do we need to step in and, and grow in some areas? Sure. Um, a lot of areas that I've seen doing well is, is the energy, the heart, the wanting to be with people, um, wanting to, to do right by their brothers and sisters, mm. um, you know, in different community groups and regeneration and grief support um, and re-engage, you know, there's, there's so much heart there that, that just energize me. Yeah. Um, so much willingness to just, uh, learn and be open with, um, what they feel like the Lord is calling them to do. Right. Um, and so that, that's been a really neat area. I think when you said, um, you know, the, the church has just grown a lot lately and it's just grown really fast. And, I think we're entering into a stage that we've never had to enter in before mm-hmm. um, because the church has been around now for a while and we're just starting to see new things. Sure. Yeah. And so how do we, um, I guess, prioritize our energies in learning those new things and it not be reactive, but more proactive. Um, I would say, you know, like our, our, community groups, you know, that's where a lot of life happens week in and week out. And, um, you know, helping leaders, helping members, leaders and members to shepherd one another when those situations happen, like what to do, how to be there, um, working on um, just the ministry of, of presence mm-hmm. and just learning how to be in the moment when um, that crisis happens. We were talking earlier about the difference between empathy and sympathy, and I don't know if that's a chance to talk about that right here, but even as you, we have leaders here that are in situations where there is suffering, where they are con- connecting to people in their groups or just people in their families and there's, there's a grief. Um, I don't know if you could unpack some of what we were talking about earlier, but that was real helpful to me. Yeah, sure. So I definitely resonate with, you know, Romans 12 rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who mourn. Um, because to me, that is, that is being empathetic for folks. Mm -hmm. I think you can, have a posture of sympathy where you hear about something and, and you think, gosh, that's, I hate that for them. Right. But then empathy is really, you are rejoicing with, with somebody who may have just gotten a new job or a new house when you know they've been struggling or you really are mourning with someone who has just gone through, um, something that, that, is part of your own story or even something that's not part of your story, but being in that moment of just being able to mourn with them, um, you know, that's, that's more empathy. Um, taking what you think could be a feeling of that situation and asking, you know, Hey, that sounds really hard. That sounds like that's, that's a hard situation mm-hmm. or gosh, I would be really sad in that. You know, what do you think? Are you, are you sad or are you feeling something else? 
um, that right there is entering in right. and being able to, um, you know, mourn with them. So listening for verbal cues, following up with questions. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do, I think in the last little bit here that we have together is we want to talk about some things to avoid mm-hmm. when, we, when we talk about, um, how to be your best self and, and suffer well with others and then some things to do. We're just going to kind of co-mingle those together, things to avoid and things to do. And so you gave a, an interesting example of when uh, of things to avoid when when we get empathy and sympathy confused. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about a little bit about that and some of the exercises that you had to go through in in your training? Sure, sure. So one thing that um, and I, I know that he was. Um, you know, saying it out of the goodness of his heart, but after the the accident, um, you know, we all had to get kind of questioned and um, by the police and things like that. And I had given my statement, and then the the cop looks at me and he just smiles and he's like, "It's gonna all be okay." Mm. And I'm thinking, maybe one day, mm. but not today. Yeah, you know. And so I think learning about yourself in that moment of are you one that goes to want to fix are you a fixer do you want to immediately give a scripture and a one two three of how to get through a situation Mm. that those things may need to come but maybe it's a little bit later right maybe in that moment they just need you to hold their hand Mm -hmm. i remember i visited one lady in the hospital and her husband had just had a stroke. She was in the ER and I just came and I introduced myself and I just sat down beside her, brought her a cup of water and, and some, you know, hospital graham crackers. Mm. And she said, thank you. And then she just grabbed my hand and would not let go for about an hour. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to talk. She just wanted somebody present with her. Yeah. And ended up, I saw her a couple days later, and she said, that was the most godly thing that you could have done for me Mm. because you were just there. And I think that is sometimes what we we miss because we're so busy. We want to rush. We just want to, like, check off. Oh, have I checked on so-and-so? Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. And I think a lot of times we just need to slow down Mm. and realize – these are people that um, maybe the Lord has entrusted us to care for. Yeah. Um, and so those are, you know, kind of extreme examples, ones that I've seen. But even, um, you know, are you somebody that gets nervous when somebody in your community group starts talking about something you're not comfortable with? Or you think, what if they say something that I don't know how to handle? Or... They say something that is just not how you were raised or part of your culture or part of your background. Um, you know, do you freeze up or that, or do you start um, chatting a lot and right. start saying things that are more about you than about that yeah, person? Yeah, so it would be a coping mechanism. Right, it's how, exactly. it's how you're dealing with your uncomfortability right. or anxiety and stress. Yeah, Absolutely. Did it take you a while to figure out how to get aware? Like, I mean, you you talk about this idea of um, getting clear, becoming aware of yourself in this moment. Like, did it take you in this, these eight years that you were in this wor- in this business of work that you had? Like, 
Yep. It, do a lot of yes. wrong things. I mean, like, <laughs> yes. So one thing I'll say. How do say, you get aware, Jennifer? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, is you no one sometimes you can do all the right things mm-hmm. and it's still going to not be the right thing. So in uh, our training as chaplains, we had to write these things called verbatims. And we would mm-hmm. list out the conversations um, that we would have with a patient. And we even had to pick verbatims or patient visits that we didn't feel good about. So that way we could get assessed and supervised on how to do better maybe the next time. So um, you would write down, you know, chaplain, patient, chaplain, Mm -hmm. patient. And it was the whole conversation of how you felt like or as much as you could remember Mm -hmm. um, from the conversation. And then in parentheses, out beside what the chaplain would say, you'd have to um, put down what you were thinking, feeling, seeing, smelling, whatever it may be, in parentheses. So some of it was as simple as, okay, this person has called me for a visit right before lunchtime. I'm really hungry. How am I going to... What kind of chaplain would they want, even though I'm hungry? Mm. And I had to think, um, gosh, all right, how am I going to be with this person when I'm starving and haven't eaten? Yeah, because you're not your best self (laughs) in that moment. Correct. It's like the Snickers commercial. Right. right? (laughs) Yes, you turn it. Yes, I definitely turn into somebody. I don't know who that would be. (laughs) but um, Maybe that's why I always see you with snacks. That could be it. (laughs) Honestly. Yes, because I just ask my husband. I get very hangry sometimes. But, but what you're describing is just basic human function, right? Like, right. And, and sometimes we, you know, we over-spiritualize the yes. whole process and just forget what are we thinking, what are we feeling, what are we seeing, what are we smelling, and, and just we have, to, we have to put ourselves in that position and we have to be honest about ourselves. And are right. we being our best self and are we catching others at their best self? Right. So you, you mentioned like you being hungry and then you share a story about just like what the, what the patient was, was feeling. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you can't go in and, and, and really minister to a patient if their physical needs, you can't minister well if their physical needs are being met. Right. If someone's hungry or someone's thirsty, they're going to have a hard time really listening to you. Right. Right. Someone's in pain. Mm -hmm. They're going to have a really hard time listening to you. Yeah. And so why, why do we forget that Jennifer? I think a lot of times we, we can easily make it about ourselves. Mm. We easily think, well, I've given up my time to come here and yet you don't, you're not ready to talk to me. Um, there would be times that I would visit with people and in that moment, they wanted to hear from the doctor who was about to give them either the really best news of their life or the really worst news. And I come in and they don't want to talk to me. Not that they're disregarding me as a, as you know, a person or a visit, but their mind is more on what the doctor's going to say in that moment. Of course. And so at that point, I had to say, you know, it's not about me. It's about what they are wanting in this moment. And that's with, you know, I'm using a lot of patient examples, but that's with community group. That's with um, your neighbor. You know, in that moment, they may be needing something that um, that's not about you. Right. And I think that's one of the downsides of having a high level of responsibility is that we can also think too much of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that our responsibility 
and the actual outcome or change that we can bring is far greater than what we can actually do. Sure. And I've, I've noticed and guilty of this many, many times that we think our words are so important mm-hmm. when rarely if the three of us around the table can think about the times when we were at our worst, we barely remember what anybody said, yeah. but we do remember if they were there and a lot of the physical presence, like you talked about the, we, we underestimate physical touch mm-hmm. the holding of the hand, the moving in close to listen. So someone doesn't have to speak right. loudly, difficult, hard things, mm-hmm. sad things, mm-hmm. grieving well with someone, you know, sitting, sitting close to them, even having Kleenex to offer someone who's crying, right. you know, I, and I think about the idea of, of Jesus incarnate. Jesus came in flesh, right? He put on flesh. And when we sit and suffer well with someone, the number one thing is just that we're present, that right. we're, we're in the flesh, right. that we're there. Because our greatest fear is, I don't even know that it's suffering. I think it's suffering alone. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think it's just being alone. Right. And when we can be there with someone, all we have to do, the first thing we have to do is we have to be. Mm-hmm. And I think if we could just lower our own expectations as far as what we have to say, what verses we have to share, what we have to pray, if we could just be present, mm-hmm. then uh, a lot of this other stuff takes care of itself. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think also being willing to say, I don't know. You're right. And I think being willing to have a, a humble po- posture mm-hmm. of not only just being, but when you don't know what to say, letting the person know, I'm, I don't know what to say. This is really mm-hmm. hard but I'm here with you. Yeah. I'm sitting next to you. I'm in the moment with you. And um, Diane Langberg from the book Suffering in the Heart of God, she does a lot of counseling with um, trauma survivors. And her whole posture is how can she, with each visit, with each person, bear the fragrance of God? Mm. And that has been, um, you know, especially the last month or two, to be honest, has just been really resonating with me. How is it that I can just bear the fragrance of God so that the person knows the Lord is with them through me, through through my visit? Mm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And I think about the second Corinthians one passage that part of God's sovereign design of our lives is when we go through uh, struggles and suffering, which are unavoidable, that God comforts us in our troubles so that we can give comfort to others. Yeah. Like that is part of the divine design. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we um, miss, miss that, um, and, and not necessarily because we're unwilling to, to enter into that, but maybe when we mistake what type of comfort we're actually bringing, mm-hmm. um, that's when we lose the opportunity to, to really have that ministry of presence that you're talking about. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's also making sure we're responding to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. A lot of times um, when I've maybe said something in a community group and I've shared something really hard, um, I can tell the Holy Spirit is working through somebody because maybe I'll get a text that just says, hey, thank you for sharing last Mm -hmm. night. That was, I know that was really hard. 
I'm praying for you. And that right there means the world because I was seen, I was heard, and I felt like I wasn't alone in that moment. And so a lot of times, you know, especially leaders in our group, we don't know what to say. I mean, um, we, we're just in the moment we have a, a group of maybe 10 to 12 people that we're trying to shepherd and be with, but the act of listening to Holy Spirit and following up with people is, is key. Because the follow-up actually shows the intentionality. Correct. I mean, and I don't think there's anything wrong in the moment. Like a couple of things that I've been, I've done poorly in the past that I'm trying to, I'm trying to get better at is instead of saying, Hey, I'm going to pray for you. Like in the moment, just praying. Yes. Knowing that it doesn't have to be a long prayer. It doesn't have to be the most eloquent prayer because it is the act of showing dependence on God that it really matters. And then uh, even at the risk of being awkward, um, if we're having a text conversation, I will text a prayer Mm -hmm. to them and just say, hey, I'm praying this for you right now. Again, it does not have to be long. It does not have to be certainly perfect. It just has to be heartfelt. Right. And then giving them the permission, I even, even put this in there. Hey, no need to respond. Yeah. Like, like I'm not doing this to get something from you. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like thinking about you today, praying for you, no need to respond. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm praying for you today. No need to respond. Here's a verse that I'm praying or I'm thinking about. I want to share with you. You don't have to respond. Like you don't right. have to, I'm trying to care for you. You do not have to feel like you need to care for me. Right. Oh, that's good. You talked with the, this idea of practice and suffering well with others, we've talked about self-awareness. We've talked about bearing the fragrance of God. We've talked about listening to the Holy Spirit, uh, just praying uh, for others in the moment. What are some other things that we can do to help us as leaders care for others well? Sure. Um, you know, I would just say being, being willing to uh, enter in, mm-hmm. um, being willing to say almost to kind of to yourself of just like okay lord i i don't know how to be with this person mm-hmm. but be with my words and my actions and being willing to to look people in the eye and enter in um i would say to just maybe text somebody like we were just talking about and saying hey i'm about to go to the grocery store i'll pick you up um some things. What do you need? No need, you know, and I'll just drop them off. You don't even have to see me or see my face. Um, I just want you to know I'm, I'm already heading there. Might as well get you something as well. Um, you'll never regret, you know, not doing that. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants our hearts. He wants us to see, you know, how are we being guided in that moment and how are we listening to him um you know they may say no i don't need anything they may say no thank you but at least in that moment you have you've tried to enter in yeah i think a lot of our church sees it as their responsibility Mm -hmm. but i don't know that we really see it as an opportunity because i think we're afraid we're afraid of of messing up doing something wrong making things worse right and a lot of that is about us, like you said. Right. So to, to have a humble posture and really see suffering, just as the Apostle Paul said, as an opportunity to comfort with yep. the comfort that we have received. Yes. And it is it is a great chance to be the body, incarnate the love of Christ, and um, 
ultimately help God get the glory in whatever situation. Right. Right. Can you help land the plane with us and, and just talk a little bit about end of life? I know that was a, a topic that we wanted to discuss. If, if you could just share a little bit more about that. Sure. We were talking about earlier. Yeah. So a lot of, um, a lot of folks I have, have been with have been at the end of their lives. And a lot of folks just want you to be with them, be present as we have talked about. Um, it was rare that we got into any kind of scripture, theological debate. I remember actually one of my uh, professors, I wasn't doing so well in learning Greek. <laughs> and, and I was upset about it. And he was like, listen, go get your C, pass the class. Nobody at the end of their life is going to ask you to translate something in the Greek language. It's a good word. <laughs> And so that was so helpful because they they just wanted more of my comfort and my presence and not necessarily this big spiritual statement. Um, a lot of folks, there's, there's a book called Four Things That Matter Most by Ira Byock. And a lot of folks at the end of life just want to hear, you know, please forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. And I love you. They just, they want to relive good memories. Mm. They want to make sure their loved ones know how much they love them. Mm. They want to make sure that their loved ones are going to be okay. Um, and they want to know that um, their presence is going to matter to them in that moment. Yeah. So it's been, um, it's been an honest, like a holy moment, a holy moment to be in that ministry of presence to just sit there and and be with somebody as they relive mm -hmm. some of their best memories or even share stories or wisdom with you in yeah. that moment once you so, repeat those four things that matter most sure please forgive me i forgive you thank you and i love you mm. so <laughs> Some good words. It's been awesome to hear your story and grateful for your expertise here at our church and thoughts and ideas around practice. I've taken a lot of notes. I know this will be very helpful for our leaders. So as we wrap up this episode, we want to thank you for joining us. And if you have additional questions or you want just to access resources, check out our podcast page that's located in the show notes. And we were hoping that Jennifer, you could pray for us and pray for our leaders and pray for us as a church that we would just suffer well. And so would you be willing to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, dear Lord, I thank you just for today. I thank you for uh, just who you are and how you reveal yourself, even just through simple acts, dear God. Lord, we thank you that you care for us today and tomorrow, and you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we are feeling unsettled because of, suffering that may be in our lives, dear God, I pray that um, you will give us unfailing strength to bear it. Um, I pray that our leaders and um, those who are in shepherding situations will be able to um, put aside any anxious thoughts uh, while they are shepherding one another and that they will allow you to speak through them and to be a vessel of comfort and peace. Lord, I just thank you for all that you do and who you are to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank, thank you. you.